Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who last week was the Lenny Godber to my Norman Stanley Fletcher. And we even had lukewarm there too. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. So I've been thinking about all the things that we said we we're going to do when we were in Aberdeen that we didn't get around to doing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that too. Yeah. I, I genuinely, I was like, I, I think I, I nearly created a list of all the things we didn't do yeah. that we said we were going to do. So I, I didn't have a macaroni pie. Yep. You didn't have a fish summer. Nope. We didn't go to Tawdry. I didn't get my photo taken with Alex and stuff. And I feel a bit bad about that because that was like the reason for going down. And like, I just, I'd mm. forgotten all about it. Then the day that we were just trying to decide whether I walked out to the beach or not, and it looked like it was going to rain, etc. If, if I had just, I should just, just have just kind of pressed on and got your picture. I forgot all about it. That's okay. We didn't go and visit the blue plaque no. of the, the man that invented dugouts. Neither of us even had an iron brew. No, we were back. That's true. I had plenty tenants, but <laughs> we didn't have an iron brew. Was there anything else? There must have been something else that we didn't do, um, that we said we would do. Well, we didn't update the Instagram. I, no. I said that we were going to put plenty of things on. I think I took a photo of half a pint of tenants and then was like, oh, I can't be arsed. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll, I'll think of some good content later. Yeah. I think having tenants, and I did come home with a bag full of rowies. I think that was pretty much the only thing yeah. that kind of did that we said we would do yeah it, it didn't help i had like narcolepsy for most of the day like, after a certain hour every day either <laughs> you, know I mean? you were just tired that was all you were just tired you didn't do a lot of traveling so it's understandable <laughs> it's quite all right indeed um well well it's just gives us an excuse to plan another trip at some point. It certainly does, yes. And of course, the uh, the intro, we're not doing porridge today, but we are doing something set in prison. But it was alluding to the fact that Greg and I slept in bunk beds. That's right. Um, whilst we were in Aberdeen. So that was very exciting. And it, I was quite grateful, actually, that you had narcolepsy because it meant when I came to bed, it was easier for me to get into the top bunk because you were fast asleep. It's not easy getting into a child's bunk bed on the top bunk let me tell you that greg not easy at all yeah i think you may want to cut that sentence out (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a very valid point yeah i think i might uh, cut that one out yeah that could be used against me in some way uh never mind but we had a lovely trip in aberdeen it was very good to see you uh good to see luke warren as well Uh, do you get that reference i do yep and he was very hospitable yeah he was very hospitable as well um uh, picking us up and taking us where we needed to go not not offering us any toast when he was having his own toast but otherwise it was a blip (laughs) and an otherwise exemplary record of hospitality Uh, and we did get to go and visit all the the venues that we we did would have visited anyway basically mac ambrin's wild boar and the dutch and the grill (laughs) and the grill of course yes i could forget and the northern bar of course yeah but she did not bad isn't normally yeah no we did i think we did all right um did we not go and the college and the foundry and the college (laughs) and the foundry We did. Yeah. We did a nice little tour of Aberdeen bars and establishments. So, all the old favourites. Uh, we did okay. All the old favourites, yes, definitely. And some new ones. Brewdog for their wings. Their chicken wings. That as we apparently very good. Know about. Apparently so. <laughs> Who knew? Oh, well. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, that covers our, our trip to Aberdeen. So, apologies, listener, that we didn't update the Instagram. <laughs> apologies that we didn't do pretty much what we said we did. I still never had a macaroni pie. No. 
Um, and it's going to be until the next time I'm in Aberdeen, which, let's face it, is probably going to be a few <laughs> years away. <laughs> no. I don't think I'll be back anytime soon. So I'll be in Aberdeenshire uh, in December because I'm going to see my mother and stepfather and sisters uh, for Christmas. So I'll have to try and get a, a macaroni pie inside me when I'm there. If you fly via Amsterdam, I'll meet you in uh, the terminal on the way back. You can throw one over the... The uh, the concourse, yeah. and I'll try and get. That <laughs> I'll ask a, a I'll ask a fellow passenger if they'll take it out for me. You take this macaroni pie. <laughs> <laughs> I, pro- I promise I'm not the first person to ever try and smuggle drugs into Amsterdam. It is a macaroni pie. <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google that actually and see if I can get a macaroni pie in Amsterdam. There must be somewhere that does it, but I'll I'll see. But it probably won't be the same. You can, so you can always make it. Open. I think I'll. I could have. Yeah, you know something. I mean, when we went to the tattoo parlor, there was like a baker right next door. I, I could have went and got a macaroni pie before I went to the pub, but I didn't want to spoil my lunch. So yeah, um, <laughs> never mind. There's always next time. Always next. The macaroni pie will happen. I could make my own, yeah, but I can't be asked. It's too much hassle. <laughs> It's like I said to you, I could make my own rowies. I looked at the recipe one day. It takes about six fucking hours. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Life's too short. Anyway. Okay. Um, well, shall we have a look at what's been happening in the news in Scotland, basically, when we were in Scotland? Absolutely. Well, since we've been there. Yeah. Uh, you won't find, Fortunately, you won't find us in the news um, because we were on our very best behaviour. But yep, yeah, let's uh, cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on. In the news. We were indeed on our very best behaviour. We didn't do anything untoward that would have been newsworthy at all, did we? No, we're very so. good. We're too old now to do uh, very hijinks yeah. like that of any stupid too old, Too old in for those kind of shenanigans. <laughs> so uh, what have you seen in the news this week, Greg, that caught your eye in Scotland? Um, well, the first story I saw, I chose it because it's quite a bizarre story. Um, it comes from the Scottish Sun on the 4th of June, uh, which was yesterday, because we're recording this on Sunday the 5th. Um, the headline is, Cats So Macabre, Sick Artists Flogging Homeware, Gifts and Drawings Dedicated to Scottish Serial Killers. Um, oh dear. Oh dear, indeed. So if you're looking for any of this stuff, you can find it on the craft marketplace Etsy. Uh, designers have adorned tat with drawings of the country's most infamous criminals, including Robert Black, Peter Tobin, and Bible John. Um, there's a mug that has the picture of uh, Moore's murderers Ian Hindley and Maida Brady, and it says Yorkshire Moore's Rambler Society, established 1983. I have to have a pretty uh, dark sense of humour. Glasgow-born Moore's murderer Ian Brady has been printed on a clock and a Christmas tree bauble, and Peter Tobin appears on a tea towel with lipstick kisses on his face. Fans have hailed the twisted works with a flurry of five-star reviews, while website bosses encourage shoppers to step into spring with cheerful finds. Fuck's sake. Um... Honestly, David Gray, 69, dodged death when uh, Ian Brady and his accomplice Myra Hindley tried to lure him into their car by pretending they were the police when he was only 10. He told the Scottish Sun, very macabre. These are talented artists and it is worrying that they have chosen to use their skills to glorify unspeakable people. These, this rubbish adds nothing to the beauty, kindness and empathy that the world needs and adds to the cowardice, cruelty and morbidity of the human condition. Uh, those who have not been through the trauma... Uh, 
the victims, their families and survivors as survivors cannot begin to comprehend the harm done. Profiteering on the back of notoriety is itself a form of abuse. Sellers have scores of listings for tat adorned with the faces of murderers and sex beasts on the site. Brady from the Gorbals in Glasgow is featuring a wide range of items for sale on the platform. His mugshot appears alongside Hindley on the mug bearing the caption Yorkshire Moors Rambler Society for sale at £8.99. The pair also appear on matching Christmas tree ornaments for £7 as hand-carved figurines for £45. Brady features in a £15 wall clock and in a £15 A3 print with the caption Beyond Redemption. Yeah, it's uh, apparently, but, but Etsy says that the sale of trinkets promoting serial killers is banned. A spokesman said Etsy is an unjuried marketplace, meaning sellers run their own shops, create and sell, and ship their own product. When a seller opens a shop or lists an item on Etsy, they agree to follow our site policies and terms, as well as local and national laws. Some of the listings that reference serial killers may be considered dark humour and are allowed, but they just said that they're not allowed. They said that it's banned. Oh, it's banned if it's promoting hmm. serial killers, but it's okay to, re- hmm. it's okay to reference them. Apparently, <laughs> whatever the fuck that means okay yeah so yeah i'm looking at the pictures not i'm not sure i'll be adding any of this to my christmas list this year i mean should it not be stuff that's useful i mean okay a tea towel but it should not be stuff that's related like i would probably buy like a dennis nielsen drain on blocker or something <laughs> like ian, you know ian, Brind- uh, ian brady shovel something like that well yeah something that's that's kind of related to uh to the actual thing i mean I, you have to take a little bit of humor but i i can see why people would be upset you know obviously the victims of of these people um the crimes are abhorrent but you kind of have to laugh i mean i always remember the very infamous viz uh, strip which was called Harold and Fred they make ladies dead and it was about the adventures of Fred West and Harold Chipman <laughs> I think it only lasted for one strip but it was <laughs> it was a very good uh, very good strip in Viz that was I, you know I mean like I, when I was in the US I watched a documentary about George Carlin the uh, late American comedian uh, and I guess sort of social commentator through his comedy and uh, you know a lot of his humour is like dark dark gabbles humour I mean you know the, I know you and I used to enjoy Bill Hicks and a lot of his humours yeah very dark as well but carlin's even more so and um you know but i mean that aside i don't know why you'd want like a like a bible john sticker where are you going to put it <laughs> Do you know what I mean? stick it on your maths book put it on your bible <laughs> use it as a bookmark when you're you're reading the bible i think when does it become okay because if i think about uh, for example, there was a film a few years ago, I say a few years ago, I bet it was a lot longer than I think it was, with um, Simon Pegg and Andy Serkis uh, doing Burke and Hare. Yeah, yeah that's Now, right. I've never seen it, but I, judging by the fact that Pegg's in it and the way it was promoted, I, I presume it's kind of like a comedy It's a in a way. black comedy, yeah. It's actually got okay. one of the actors out of um, our movie today is also in it. Okay, so it's... It's okay to kind of poke fun at that because, what, enough time has passed? Well, that's, but, that's the thing, I guess so. I mean, I guess it's not in living memory anymore, I suppose, whereas okay. the people that are on this stuff, some of them are still alive. Um, and I guess a lot of the people who were affected by what they did are still alive, such as the guy who was interviewed. Whereas I can't imagine they, the John Landis of the future making like a, a, a knockabout comedy about the Moors murders, you know what I mean? And 
200 years time or well then you know because i guess there's something funny about two guys uh killing people and selling their bodies to edinburgh university for like classes and um classes and um what's the what's the not autonomy autopsy you know autopsy yeah yeah. yeah because it was yeah to dissect the bodies to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah learn about the human anatomy anatomy yeah anatomy classes that's the word um so who knows um but anyway yeah um i'm sure after it's been in the paper etsy will be asking their clients to remove those items from sale from their website yeah i i agree i think yeah the victims of um the, the families of the victims are quite right to be slightly upset about this i can kind of see the tongue-in-cheek humor like i say about viz for example and um i think they make humor out of tragedy and stuff you know i remember when they were selling a the lady diana doll and stuff you know only a few years after she passed away and stuff but um yeah I, i can see you have to maybe be a certain type of person to find that kind of thing funny so Okay, never mind. We are obviously not that type of person because <laughs> responsible podcasters. <laughs> I'd say I'm that type of person. I find it quite funny, but never mind. Okay, should we swiftly move on? <laughs> okay, yes, let's. Uh, okay, so my first story this week uh, comes from the Scottish Sun. Now, this is a story that kind of... Oh, sorry, the first part is from the Daily Record. The next part is from the Scottish Sun. Okay. This was a story that came in two parts. So when I saw this at the beginning of the week, I thought, ah, that's great. And then the story actually evolved and grew legs throughout the week. So uh, this is about a Scots Community Council meeting, which was halted after a naked man in the bath joined the video call. So this was about the members of the Oban Community Council who were having their kind of annual meeting and they were all on Zoom and you can see all of the people there, they're all enjoying themselves on Zoom. Um, And they were left shocked after a stranger who spoke with an English accent joined the conference from his bathroom and made lewd comments towards the attendees. (laughs) Um, Argyle and Butte councillor Andrew uh, Venard was interrupted by the naked hacker who appeared on camera before lying back on the bath with his genitals on display. (laughs) The man then addressed the council and began making lewd comments before the video link was shut down, but participants were still able to hear his voice. He began by addressing the chairwoman, Mary Malloy, by saying, Keep talking dirty to me. I like it. He then went on to call her baby girl and invited her home for Netflix and chill. Uh, George Berry, a member of the community council, asked who the man was and what position he held within the group. The gentleman replied, 69. (laughs) Mr. Berry said, I don't know who this guy is, but he should be muted. Seconds before the meeting was suspended at 8pm, the hacker asked women in the group if they had Snapchat. (laughs) I should point out, all of the members of this group look to be in their 60s and 70s. Uh, An email was sent out to attendees and the meeting was resumed with the hacker then kicked out. Uh, Upon returning, uh, one of the councillors said that the man was obviously from somewhere south of the border, going by his accent. Uh, The elderly members of the council went on to tell how the incident actually frightened them and they locked their doors in their homes shortly after. Chairman Mrs Malloy said, It was funny at first, but the sooner we realised the crude intent of the incident, it was no longer funny. It was actually quite disgusting. I don't understand why they would target Oban, but I hope this doesn't happen again. So, Police Scotland said they had no record of this incident being reported. However, a couple of days later, (laughs) the article's updated in the Scottish Sun. 
A raging social media celebrity has told how pranksters have stolen his identity to hack into a Scots Community Council meeting. (laughs) Now, the upshot of this is, this is a gentleman who apparently is quite big on TikTok in Scotland. However, he does have an OnlyFans account as well. This is a gentleman called Kevin Wright, 43 years old. So on his OnlyFans, apparently he has a video of himself getting into the bath where you could see his genitals and everything. What he's basically saying is someone has stolen this video and when they've hacked it, they've played it (laughs) in the council meeting, (laughs) but they've dubbed over the voice asking for Netflix and chill and stuff. Uh, So he has said, he's a rapper and dancer, apparently, this guy, Kevin. So he said, it wasn't me. It honestly wasn't me. I know it looks like me, but it wasn't (laughs) me. It's causing me a lot of stress. The police are trying to track down who's done it. It's vile and disgusting. It's it's really not funny at all. They're doing something like that and they're trying to make me go to prison for something <laughs> I didn't do. It's it's obvious it's not me. Well, but it, you know, it's got they've got your video there, Kevin. So it, you know, you can see why I think it looks like it <laughs> yeah. might be you. Um, they've they've listed all the quotes in the article and stuff, but uh, they did say that the it did look like the um the speech maybe didn't match his voice as he was talking. Right. Um, and one of the council members also did say, if I looked like him, I'd be hiding away. He looks like he needs a good plate of mince and tatties. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Kevin said it was stolen from his OnlyFans account when he chatted from the bath to his fans but now he's talking to the cops to try and clear his name Um, he said if someone wanted to come into my live and they were in a bath then and they were in the nuddy i'd kick them straight off it's an important council meeting but why are they watching someone pretending to be me for three minutes (laughs) but he reckons the prank might have done him a favor because he says i've gone worldwide it's made me famous. Well, there you go, Kevin. Mm. And here you go. We've just mentioned you on the Swally as well. So you're even more famous. So yeah, this gentleman, I mean, I've read stuff like this before, of people having Zoom calls and maybe someone's come in hacking, but never naked in the bath. And of course, asking, um, <laughs> keep talking dirty to me. So when Kevin made this video for his OnlyFans, he's leaned mm-hmm. back to show off his cock and boss, is he? Yes, yeah. yes. He's lying in the bath and lying back to show his cock and balls and speaking to his fans. I haven't watched the original video, Greg, just to to clarify, so I don't know what he's actually saying. Um, I know I maybe should have for purposes of research for the Swally, but I haven't watched it. So I don't know what he's saying. I I presume he's just having a chat. I I, I guess that's what kind of stuff goes on in OnlyFans. I don't know. I've never been on it. No, I've not been on it either. Um, No, it's a bit of a... I mean, I've seen quite a lot of, like... Obviously, with the pandemic, meetings and everything are all online these days. And so, and quite often when you watch the news, rather than having people in the studio, like experts in the studio, they're like at home on Zoom and stuff. So there's been a few video, like there's there's been quite a few of people who have appeared to be wearing a shirt and tie, then have stood up to get something and they're actually wearing like shorts. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and there was the the famous one from the BBC correspondent when he's he's on he's reporting on something from Asia and his wee girl bops in <laughs> behind him, which is quite cool. But yeah, that's the first time I've seen anybody uh, sort of hack in with their cock and balls out though. Yeah, quite strange. Not something that you would you would expect to see. Especially if you're hosting a council meeting. And as I say, they're all quite elderly, um, the people that are 
on the the call. So yeah, you would. Uh, I guess they got quite a shock, and they were having their meeting at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, but then what? Are you saying that they should all be in bed by this point? I just no. I mean, I'm just there. I mean, I'm just saying that I the eight o'clock at night. The last thing I ever want to be doing is on a meeting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but but if it's a local council meeting, they probably scheduled it. So I mean, obviously they can't have it in the afternoon because they need to watch countdown, and then <laughs> they probably have to watch eggheads. And then, so they've scheduled it for eight because they'll be like, right, Coronation Street finishes at yeah. eight, so we'll um, we'll watch it then. We'll do the meeting then. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. I think like people of that age should be winding down eight o'clock at night. Not like, mind you, if they're all at home anyway, you know. <laughs> exactly, they're all at home. They're winding down, and um, uh, the gentleman Kevin was winding down in the bath as well. In the bath with his cocking balls out. Balls out. Yep. Anyway, so let's hope this Zoom doesn't get interrupted by anyone <laughs> with their cock and balls out. Yes, and that's not an invitation for either of us to to start stripping. No, no, I'm sorry. Okay, Greg, um, what else have you seen this week that has caught your eye in Scotland? So a few times over the, the last couple of years that we've been doing this, I have suggested that I might pick Super Gran um, as uh, mm. one of our topics of conversation. But this week, uh, I've got an article about a real-life Super Gran. The headline, it comes from the Scottish Sun on the 1st of June, um, and it says, Gran Theft Photo reporter mm. earning every penny of his salary there with that um, with that headline. Um, a Super Gran told how she wellied a burglar, but she let him flee because she was worried about hurting him too much. Wilma Alma... 79, caught vile thug Nathan Taylor, 31, ransacking her house in Perth and ordered him to empty his pockets. There's a picture of Alma here. She looks a wee bit like uh, like Jimmy Savile or maybe Kate Ma- or maybe Kate Maloney. <laughs> when he refused, she lashed out and the pair the pair battled for about fifteen minutes. Uh when he escaped the, wow. the I know the pensioner chased and caught up with them, but eventually released them from her grasp. She said, I felt myself getting uptight, so I had to let him go. I couldn't have been answerable for what I was gonna do to him. I let him go for his own safety, really. I gave as good as I got. Maybe even a little bit better than that. He's no big hard man. He should be embarrassed. Wilma was out in the garden and tried to head inside for a cuppa. She couldn't open the door. She got the spare key from the neighbour and she was confronted by Hooded Taylor who had stuck the lock on behind him so he wouldn't be disturbed. But she wasn't spooked and she went for him when she noticed his pockets were bulging with her stuff. In the struggle, he dropped a £40 pair of earrings that he'd stolen. Wilma said, I wellied right into him. I took hold of him with both hands and threw him against the stairs. I told him to give everything back but he said he was looking for someone called Willie. We tussled for a while, and I wouldn't let the Egypt go. You should have heard the language. My downstairs neighbour came round and told me to stop swearing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Taylor broke free and made it into the front garden before determined Wilma caught up with him. After another sh- oh my God. after another struggle, he ran off with all her medication, which may or may not have included steroids, <laughs> by the sounds of things, but probably not, <laughs> and jewellery worth about £1,000, including her late husband Geert's wedding ring. Wilma said, it's really upsetting they got away with that. It's irreplaceable because it's the last thing I had of him. Wilma's neighbour called the cops and the great granny identified Taylor from a picture. But when the case called in court, the addict was caged for just six months after he admitted theft. Wilma said, that's just bed and breakfast. 
He'll be back on the street in no time and just laugh that out off. If I was the judge, I would have cut his balls off. But I hope... (laughs) (laughs) But I hope the boys inside give him grief for getting stopped by a great grandmother. Uh, Wilma now refuses to leave the house where she's lived for 20 years and she has no intention of quitting gardening but from now on she's making sure her door is always locked she said if he Mm. dares to come back here i'll be ready for him my pals have joked that they're going to buy me a pair of boxing gloves they might come in handy Uh, taylor solicitor david holmes said his client wanted to apologize but has difficulty with drugs and doesn't remember the incident so there you go a real life super gran throwing guys against the stairs chasing them down in the garden you think of that fantastic oh that's brilliant. I mean, Wilma is a hero. I, I absolutely love the fact she's like, if I was the judge, I'd have cut his boss off. <laughs> um, I, I can safely say I don't think he's going to be back, you know, once he gets out, because I know I bloody wouldn't. I mean, unless it's some sort of big Cape Fear-esque revenge mission he goes <laughs> so. on, but I, I wouldn't have thought so. But yeah, Wilma, good on you. Like, so they grappled for 15 minutes. I mean, I can only presume he was off his face at the time <laughs> or something. Or do you think Wilma really is just an absolute hard nut, like grappling granny? Would she have been the type that would have been whacking Big Daddy with her handbag? Yeah, I think she definitely would be. I think she'd be whacking giant haystacks with her handbag, but waiting behind, waiting out the back to get a photograph with Big Daddy after the rest of them was finished, I think. Hmm. Yeah, good honour. That's what I like to see, though, you know, granny's fighting back. We've had quite a few of those, I think, on the Swally before. Do you remember that quite an earlier episode, there was a... A guy that tried to rob an ice cream shop with two grannies behind the counter and one of them chased him down the street with a pool cue and the other one had a chair. You know, I think they (laughs) should set up a, a club with this with Wilma. Yeah, they could have these like, well, a stable, if you will, if you want me to speak in wrestling terms. <laughs> they could set up a little granny stable um, of all these hard nuts, like a vigilante group. They could be like the Watchmen or the the Tea Time Men or something. Yeah, uh, but that's brilliant. They could set up a kind of geriatric uh, vigilante squad. What was the um, what was the one in Dundee? The the jute can't remember the guy with the freelander who, oh, yeah. uh, who ran somebody over for because his son owed the money <laughs> yeah i can't remember what they were called but yes i do remember that story i can't remember what the uh the, the group was called like the jute justice league or something them, like that <laughs> I can't remember. yeah i think we did we did call them the jute jury and execution well, that's right yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that a, i think they i think they're a bit too hard for the the jute juries and executioners they didn't seem that they were that tough they, i think they needed yeah, a, think, they needed the car to like run guys over whereas Wilma's just like set about this guy with her bare hands so did it say did she get her stuff back because obviously they caught the guy but if she'd taken if he'd taken like her dead husband's things like did she get them back does it say it doesn't say in the article I hope so Um, I mean the the guy was arrested so hopefully he hasn't he hasn't sold the stuff on before they've had a chance to return it to Wilma oh I hope so that would be a a nice happier ending if so it's a shame she's uh says that she's not leaving the house now and she's always going to lock her door when she's gardening but mm-hmm. so it's a shame in a way but uh, i'm yeah, good on her for knocking the shite out of this uh yeah scumbag yeah good and uh yeah <clears throat> i like what she says i hope he gets a hard time from the boys inside i think he will be getting a hard time <laughs> yeah, from the boys inside I think the uh, the shower chat will be all about how he was battered in the ring by a, a granny. I'll have to get I'll have to choose Super Gran in a few episodes time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. When we get Wilma on as a guest. 
<laughs> so that was my next story. What's your What's your second story this week? Uh, my second story, Greg, is about a, a cruel prank. And it's about a Scott schoolgirl who was overcome with emotion in a cruel prom prank on Capital Radio. But she has claimed that she knew it wasn't real all along. So this is about Glasgow Teen. Uh, this is from the Scottish Sun uh, this week. Uh, it's from the Scottish Sun today. So this is about Glasgow Teen Anna Carty, who contacted Capital Scotland last week, asking for their help to see if they could get X One Direction star Harry Styles to be her prom date. So she got in touch with the radio station and um, so a special message to the schoolgirl. Harry appeared to accept her invitation on Katie J's Getting You Home show. Anna's prom is set on Thursday, June the 9th, two days before the singer performs at Ibrox Stadium for his Love On Tour show. I didn't realise Harry Styles was playing Ibrox. That's going to be quite a show. A voice clip that was played on the radio said, Anna, how's it going? It's Harry Styles here. Hello. Look, Katie J passed on your invite to the prom and I'm sure it'll be a good Scottish party. I'd love to be there. So send me the details. I'll see what I can do. So I'll see you soon. Katie J then told an overwhelmed Anna, you heard it from the horse's mouth. It's on the radio. It's legit, as she asked the teen to send through her details for Harry's team. But all was not what it seemed. It later emerged that it was actually a Capital DJ, Roman Kemp, impersonating Harry's voice for the prank. Capital filmed KEJ playing Harry's message for Anna and posted it on their Facebook page where it was picked up and made headlines in Scotland and America. But Anna has since says that she knew it wasn't real and when she heard the voice she just knew it wasn't. Um, according to the Daily Record she said, uh, yeah I knew it wasn't real, I enjoyed being on the radio and it was a good laugh but it was just a bit of fun and I'm looking forward to my prom. Uh, I knew when I heard the voice that it wasn't Harry Styles. However, a radio insider told the record that people were astonished by the prank and they thought it, uh, it was fine to broadcast. Furious listeners and furious Harry Styles fans alike have since slammed the station on social media for the low blow stunt. One Facebook user said, that's so mean, it's not him. Another commented, I feel that that's Roman Kemp. I hope she doesn't get pranked. That would be so cruel. A third said, good old fashioned radio, get a laugh at someone else's expense. Um, <laughs> luckily, she's not stupid enough to fall for it. And a fourth said, I knew it wouldn't be Harry, but to actually trick a girl with Roman's voice is just a low blow. Meanwhile, someone fumed, that is just one sick prank to pull. So uh, Capital Scotland have since removed the video from their social media channels and they have been contacted for comment so i mean come on it's just an old-fashioned radio prank it used to get done all the time i think i don't know if it happens as much nowadays but we grew up in kind of an era um certainly in aberdeen it was robin galloway that mm. would do the breakfast show in the morning and he would always have a prank call i think he would phone up somebody or some company and yeah. put on a voice and it, it was just kind of the done thing back in the day whereas i i can see that this is maybe quite cruel this girl says she doesn't believe it however being a 16 year old schoolgirl, and you do see stuff like this of celebrities will go to proms with people you know that are deserving but normally it's someone that's you know done something very deserving yeah I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this girl has done deserving things but you know to be fair robin galloway would usually come clean at the end of his prank call you know what i mean so he wouldn't leave the person he was pranking hanging this uh katie j sounds like a bit of an arsehole <laughs> to be quite honest you know what i mean like i think in 2022 and having daughters of my own you know they're not as uh, thick-skinned as perhaps the 16 year old girls of our time where 
when it came to that sort of thing, you know, it's a bit because she'll be getting she'll be getting it ripped out of it at school, I'm sure. Yeah, and maybe that's why she's had to say that she was in on the the prank all along, and she's like, "Yeah, I knew it, I knew it." Maybe that is why yeah, yeah. to to save face. I can only imagine because yeah, I mean, would your let's say your eldest daughter phoned up to Dubai ninety two and said that. You know, she wanted to get Corey Taylor to go to her prom. <laughs> Do you think that yeah. someone would, uh, that Catboy impersonating Corey Taylor's voice, would uh, would trick her? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think my don't think my daughter would really do something like that. She's not really a sort of celebrity, famous person, obsessed girl. She quite like yeah. she quite likes the Stranger Things cast. So maybe like if, uh, well, actually, when we went to. A couple of years ago in Kuwait, the kid who plays what's his name Noah, the, kid, the one that goes the one that goes missing in the first series of Stranger Things. Yeah, Will. Will, the kid who plays yeah, Will. The actors. Noah. Noah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he 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 came to Comic Con in Kuwait, and uh, my daughter's older friend queued up for two hours to get a photograph and a and a signature, and my daughter was like. Yeah, I can't be arsed standing in a line for two hours, so she's left her to it. So I don't know that she would be up for it, to be honest. That's astonishing. A two-hour queue for probably the least most popular kid in Stranger Things. Yeah, but it, was, it, was, it was Kuwait, do you know what I mean? You, you, you could have had the girl who played Barb turn up and she'd have got a big, she'd have got a big turnout. <laughs> I think I'd rather meet the girl that played Barb than the girl that plays, the guy that plays Barb. No, I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a cruel prank to play yeah. i mean especially as you say i mean this girl obviously says that she was in on it but let's face it she probably wasn't i think that, that she might have although it depends i haven't listened to it maybe the impression is so bad that she was instantly like oh yeah that's right. not fucking harry styles that's that prick roman that's off the radio doing his way <laughs> <laughs> but you know what would be good you know the fucking joke would be on um katie j if because harry is playing at ibrox that a couple yeah, of days yeah. before the joke would be on if if he did actually turn up Just at the prom did, yeah. I, like I, I would hope that this does gain kind of enough press that maybe he will send it a little video message or i mean but what i've what, I, what i've seen of harry styles on um just like on tv and stuff he seems like he's probably quite a nice guy you know what i mean um or it's, it, it comes across like he's probably like he's quite a sort of down to earth nice fella so yeah. you, you never know but um wonder why he's playing at ibrox though and not hamden it does seem like a strange choice i don't know was the sfa anticipating a crunch match with wales maybe is that why you had to go to ibrox well but that was meant to be today oh, we'll, the, oh the yeah wales yeah because wales play ukraine tonight don't they yeah mm-hmm. so harry styles is playing ibrox um it's next saturday right that he's playing at ibrox so i suppose the rangers need all the money they can get don't they so that's probably why you managed to persuade them to play there yeah, possibly could have been. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, Scotland are playing next Saturday, but um, we're playing in Ireland. So Hamden mm. will be free. So I'm not quite sure why he's playing Ibrox. I, I would have thought even fucking Celtic Park would have been a better I think venue so, so, than, Parkhead's, than Ibrox. Parkhead's a better stadium than Ibrox, for sure. <clears throat> So a bit more, yeah. more, more modern. I remember uh, Bon Jovi used to play at Ibrox when he came to Scotland. It was like, like two or three times he's played at Ibrox, John uh, Bon Jovi, like in the early two thousands and late nineties. Um, mm. I always thought it was weird that he played there and didn't play at Hamden. You know, because surely do you think that's going to divide the fans as well? Do you think you're going to have Celtic fans? 
that aren't going to let their daughters go to go and see Harry Styles at Ibrox. Not that I'm assuming daughters, you know what I mean? There's plenty of adult fans as well yeah. of Harry Styles. His, <laughs> some of his music is very good. Watermelon Sugar is a, a great song. But uh, do you think there's going to be people that aren't going to go? Because oh, I'm not going to fucking see him at Ibrox. There might be a couple of people like that, but I think they'd be more likely to go and leave their mark <laughs> somewhere <laughs> on the grounds. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Break, break a wee bit of a seat or do a bit of graffiti in the toilets, something like that, you know? I mean, if you... If it's a Harry Styles gig, what are they going to write? Like, the wanted rule, okay, <laughs> like, but type thing. If you had the chance, right, say that, like, uh, say Death Cab, Death Cab were playing in Scotland and the only date they were playing was at Ibrox and you lived in Scotland and you really wanted to go and see them, you would still go, right, even though you're a Dons fan? Yeah, yeah, of course I would. Yeah, it's not a a big issue but I mean like in terms of the Ranger Celtic thing there's, yeah, yeah. there's so much it seems to be more hatred I I wouldn't care I'd go there we go you go and right yeah. go and take a Sharpie and write European Cup winners 1983 in the toilet while Alfred <laughs> well I don't know I mean I've been to Ibrox many times for yeah. football yeah, but yeah. I've obviously sat in the away end so it doesn't bother me so it's not like a yeah. sort of thing like I wouldn't um, go in but yeah no I've, I've never graffitied Ibrox you know we did used to go in and piss in the sinks and piss on the taps and stuff, but it was kind of ourselves who were, the kind of joke was on us because then no one could wash their hands. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe Harry, maybe Harry Stales will get windowless and maybe send her a wee video message or something, uh, something like that, just to make her feel better. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that would be nice. It seems like the type of thing he would probably do, so... Um, yeah, let's let's hope that something gets sorted out and she gets a a happy ending, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, for this sick stunt yep. that they've they've played on her. What a shame! We would never do anything like that here on the Culture Swally, would we? No, certainly not. not. Okay, um, so anything else that has has caught your eye this uh, week, Greg? Nothing that I can read on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no problem at all. Before we uh, we talk about what we're going to be talking about this week on the Swally, let's have a little word from our sponsors. Okay, Greg, so it was your choice this week of what we're going to be talking about. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about on this Wally today? Okay, look. so the episode before last, we did The Debt Collector starring Billy Conley. That movie is very, very loosely based on real-life Scottish uh, or ex-Scottish gangster uh, called Jimmy Boyle. But there is a movie which is based directly on the life of Jimmy Boyle. It's uh, called A Sense of Freedom, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, It was made in 1981. It's based on Jimmy Boyle's autobiography of his life of crime and, perhaps more importantly, his time in prison. This was when he was reputed to be Scotland's most violent man. Uh, The screenplay was written by Peter McDougall. Um, We've done some of his work, quite a lot of his work, actually, on the Swally before, such as just The Boys Game, Just Another Saturday. Uh, And it was directed by John McKenzie, who also directed Just the Boys Game and uh, Just Another Saturday. Um, and the film features, I'm sure you'll agree, a smorgasbord of Scottish acting talent, mm. including David Heyman as Jimmy Boyle, Jake Darcy 
Alex Norton, Fulton Mackay, Hector Nichol, John Murta, Sean Scallon, uh, even Jan Nichol, who plays uh, Clat Yaina in Just a Boys game, is on screen <laughs> for a few seconds. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of uh, A Sense of Freedom? Uh, yeah. So, uh, first time really watching it, I think. Um, there were a few things in it that I kind of almost seemed to recognize. I'm, I'm sure I've seen bits of it somewhere um, but the first time I've, I've properly watched it we're going to end yeah a very difficult watch i i think it was a uh, it was very good i enjoyed it um there were some parts that i found quite uncomfortable and i i have a, a couple of issues with the film in mm. terms of just the the structure and pacing and whatnot but uh, overall yeah it's always good to see something from the past and something that's such an important scottish film and and, and something that's also a true ish story you know kind of based on someone who is actually uh real uh again as you say the cast i thought was fantastic david Heyman is is excellent in the role a couple of times you reminded me of a young alex higgins but that's maybe just because (laughs) i've been watching gods of snooker on the bbc and as you say it's brilliant that the constant pop-ups of like oh it's jake darcy yeah yeah. it's alex norton (laughs) and then as you say random people pop up in fact i was trying to look and i'm sure one of the prison officers in aberdeen was a guy that was in london's burning and it's it was bugging me. I kept looking at IMDb. I can't find him, but I'm, I'm positive it was See, him. One of the prison guards, and I, I, you, you must have found this out yourself. One of the prison guards mm. plays by, is played by P.H. Moriarty, who plays Harry the Hatchet in Lockstock, The Smoking Barrels. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I did I did find that. I did discover that. Yeah. In fact, I was going to, actually, that was, um, I forgot. I was going to do a subcategory of best prison guard, but I completely <laughs> forgot to go back and delve into that. Yeah. Um, and it's some random people that aren't in it for a huge amount of time. Like John Murtaugh is Piper, who has yeah, yeah. effectively a very pivotal role, but again, a very small role. Yeah. And then randomly, halfway through the film, you know, Hector Nichol pops up. And it's <laughs> yeah, just... No. It's it's a bizarre, as you say, it's a smorgasbord of, of Scottish talent. There was, a, as I say, I've got a few bugbears about the film, but there was a lot that they did really well in terms of, I think the violence is, is excellently done. Right. And... I, I love the, the fight near the start where they get kind of attacked from the side street and then all of a sudden they end up on a fucking bus yeah. and they're fighting on a bus, you know? It's like, I, I loved stuff like that. And, and genuinely the way, for example, when um, when Jimmy is running from the police and he kind of gets cornered, but, you know, it's it, it was realistic, yeah. I felt, in terms of the chasing and the violence. And although, as I say, I do have a couple of issues with the film, I thought that was very well done. And it was very well filmed and it was very gritty and, and realistic. So I did enjoy this overall. Don't get me wrong if I'm sounding slightly negative. I did, I did really enjoy it. I mean, I, I hadn't seen it for a really, really, really long time. I think I I think I had it because I, I bought it on DVD when we were in Aberdeen. And mm. there's, there's two versions. There's the original version and there is what they're calling the controversial dubbed version. So I, wa- I watched both. I can't really find any differences between the two films like scene-wise or whatever. But the thing about the dubbed version which makes it a bit more watchable than the original is that you can actually hear what people are saying like the sounds mm. particularly in the, the sort of first act of the film when he is b- b- before he goes to prison and he's knocking about glasgow getting you know he's fighting he's getting beaten up he's doing x y and z it's quite hard to hear especially like in mm. if they're in like the pub and they're talking uh whatever you're kind of what the fuck i mean even with the volume up it was difficult to hear whereas the dub version is you know you can you can tell what's going on i totally agree with you like the pacing is quite strange i don't know if this is the first time peter 
Peter McDougall has ever adapted somebody else's work because usually I think he predominantly wrote his own stuff. And John McKenzie, like he had he had directed The Long Good Friday the year before. Or at least The Long Good Friday was released the year before. I have to assume that he filmed it before he filmed A Sense of Freedom. And yeah. it's like two completely different directors. Like I'm sure they had, a, I'm sure the budget was much bigger for The Long Good Friday. This film was originally released, it was released by Scottish television, but the... Mm. The dubbed version was released by handmade films, like George Harrison's production company that did the Monty Python films and with Neil and stuff. So you would never think it was the same director of those two films, you know? I guess that answers my question because the version I watched, because I was thinking, I didn't have any trouble understanding. But uh, when I started watching it, the handmade films... Uh, yeah. logo appeared beforehand so i guess i've watched the dub version as well uh, because instantly i wrote down like oh handmade films and of course the, the two films i instantly think of when i think of handmade films are with neil and i yeah and nuns on the run <laughs> yeah so i think that's <laughs> you know i should say they, they did make some other very quality films yeah, as yeah. well for some reason i think nuns on the run is just the the next one that i think of straight away so yeah sounds like i've watched the dub version too yeah so no, yeah. So like, I I I took Friday afternoon and went through both. You know, and like, just you know, the way it kind of goes from one sort of almost set piece to another. You know, the film gets a bit more interesting when he goes to prison. But then, mm. even when he goes to prison, it's kind of goes to one prison, acts up, hits a screw, goes to solitary confinement, gets moved, same mm. again, same again. I mean, I, I suppose they're trying to they're following Boyle's book, which I've had to, had I had time, I would have um, I would have read it before. Mm. Doing the podcast but um what i did see what on the on the dvd that i bought there is an old program called sarah's story it's one of the extras mm. and it's about the woman who jimmy boyle met when he was in the special wing in Berlini. she was a doctor and ultimately fell in love with and got married to uh, and he's you know at the time of recording that program he's released and they've got a baby together and stuff and you see him there and you can tell that i mean either consciously or unconsciously irvin welsh is based the kind of character arc of Begbie in The Blade Artist and Dead Men's Trousers on Jimmy Boyle, you know, meets a woman in prison who's there to for support, gets into art. Uh, Jimmy Boyle was a sculptor as well um, and a writer and stuff. So I, I'd be interested to know if Irvin Welsh is sort of intentionally kind of sort of based a little bit of Begbie on Jimmy Boyle's story or what. It's it's funny you say that because I did download Jimmy Boyle's book, right. A Sense of Freedom, because I thought I'll try and read this before. I, I didn't have time yeah. either, but I did read the intro, the foreword um, of the because it, it was republished, um, and Irvin Welsh does the the foreword of the book, and he talks about how this book was so important, and he does actually say that Begbie is based upon uh, a friend of his. Right, that he knows in terms of Begbie's later character arc. Right, um, it's it's based upon a guy who he was friends with who went to prison and then became a sculptor and moved away and married someone else so i i thought exactly the same yeah, right, yeah. To, to jimmy boyle but um Irvin wells does detail quite a few of these characters that he knows He's, he says he went to um went to school with a guy and um he'd been in and out of prison his whole life and the 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 first book this guy ever read was train spotting um because Irvin gave it to him and this guy is now a professor of english 
at some university. Right. Um, take some of that with a bit of pinch of salt. However, but yeah, I think it's uh, so. Yeah, but I do think it, it's, it's it's very easy to see the parallels between the character of Francis Begbie and Jimmy Boyle. I think they do do a very good way initially of of setting up because there's no real introduction to Jimmy Boyle. You're no. kind of meant to know who he is, and I think. That's quite cleverly done in a way because you see him there in the pub and he's obviously setting up the the protection money that they're offering in terms of that. So instantly you know, ah, this is this guy's racket. And I think it's summed up very well when Alex Norton and Mm. and his wife takes the pay packet and he effectively says that he's owned owns money to Mm. to a loan shark. So and and it's Jimmy Boyle and his wife just says, oh well, I'll not expect you back then. Yeah. I wish you wouldn't. I know it's been bad for you, but I need the money for business. Your business, not mine. Oh, Isa, for Jesus' sake. Listen, it's not for booze. I'm in debt to a moneylender. Isa, it's Boyle. Jimmy Boyle. I'll not expect you back then. Come on, son. Yeah, instantly know that, oh shit, this Jimmy Boyle is well known around these parts and he's not someone that you would miss a payment with and that you would mess with. I think they did that very cleverly without having to go into explicit detail of showing him lending people money and then beating them up and doing that. You you instantly know this is what he does. He's not a nice guy. Let's just move on so we can spend more time in solitary confinement later on in the film. I mean, the, 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 the fact that they got an actor like Alex Norton to play that it's quite a small part. I mean, he's only on screen mm. for like maybe five to ten minutes. You know, Alex Norton being the superb actor that he is gives it everything. You know what I mean? So, like, to, oh, yeah. to, to your point, you know, through his performance, really, because they, the two guys that are with him, that he's, he's two workmates, those guys are wooden as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when, when they're outside, when they're outside the pub and they said, oh, you're going to come in? And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll come in in a minute. Like, those, those guys are like really, really, yeah. they, they're basically extras with a couple of lines. You know, they, 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 the fact that Alex Norton just really goes for the part, and I suppose he was, you know, quite a mm. young actor at the time just sort of taking mm. wh- which whichever jobs i mean i think this was a year after gregory's girl right so mm-hmm. gregory's girl 1980 wasn't it i think 82 i think is it wasn't it yeah you could be right um you know uh but yeah to your point it completely um completely tells you everything that you need to know so if you don't know um if you don't know who jimmy boyle is then uh before you start watching the film you know sort of everything you need to know about him after mm-hmm. a- after alex norton is puked in the close you know <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's little things like yeah he has to go and be sick before he can go in and tell him that he can't pay the money but boyle seems okay to deal with i mean he's just kind of like well you'll pay double next week yeah you know the rules, you know the rules it's yeah. not like right i'm gonna break your finger and then you'll pay double. It was just like, well, it's okay. You can just pay double next week. Yeah. What was he expecting? I mean, okay, he's he's in the shit next week yeah. and he's got to pay double, but he's got a week to sort that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just a quick look there. Gregory's girl was 1980, so it was. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess you're kind of meant to then, he has a, a rival on the streets in terms of Piper, played <laughs> by John Murtaugh. Yeah. Who, but surely if Jimmy Boyle is this well-known character why are you going to be going in and trying to muscle in on his territory just for the banter because you're wanting a a fight on the street i suppose you know i mean i guess jimmy boyle was 
probably one of a lot of guys like that, you know, at one time or another, maybe even now, you know, and just kind of work in different places. It's all kind of neighbourhoods, isn't it? So I suppose it's where it's supposed to be his neighbourhood. I think it's I think it's sort of Bridgeton in Glasgow, I think, is where it's supposed to be. My, my other niggle with this movie is that, so it's supposed to be set like in the late, mid to late 1960s, <laughs> but there's been mm. absolutely, you know, all the cars are like late 70s, <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> All the, all the styles are, you know, there's, it's all kind of sort of 70s stuff, do you know what I mean? Maybe, well, maybe, maybe not so much. It's not, you don't see a lot of flares and big collars right enough, but uh, not a great deal of um, thought gone into establishing the, the period, you know? Yeah, I would have thought it was 70s. If not having known the, the timeline, if, just seeing it, that's what I would have instantly thought it was because they don't really go into a too much, um, as you say, in terms of dressing up the, the set and stuff. Yeah, it's as you say, though. I mean, the beginning, the, the pacing is, is kind of all over the place again yeah. because it's very much, as you've said, the this second half of the film is very much him going from one neck to the other and getting a screw. The beginning, and I guess it's to establish how how lucky he's been but about how he's getting in and out of trouble and always getting off with it in terms of the he has the, the but it is, as you say it's, it's kind of one set piece after the other yeah, yeah. so they have the little Rami gets arrested but it, now is he after that first kind of fight because it's unclear he's he's in the car and I think somebody says something about you'll get two years and you see the the shot of the prison and it's almost to show a passing of time. Right. But when he gets out, he does say two months in solitary mm-hmm. to his solicitor. But then he says he's out on bail. So I'm presuming he's got arrested after that fight and then he's been in prison for two months. He's been in remand maybe but for a couple of months. or Maybe. I don't know. That, that was something that was unclear as to yeah. how long time has passed. But he just gets out of prison and then he's, they bump into these coppers and then he's down the alleyway giving his solicitor a gun and a massive knife wrapped in newspaper yeah to it's like again something that was a bit unclear it's weird and, and the thing is like the what he goes to prison for you you don't see you know what i mean we've got this sort of there's this thing in glasgow and i don't maybe it's in scotland as well where like sort of like notorious criminals will claim police persecution you know what i mean so i'm sure mm. i don't know if jimmy Boyle's ever admitted i know he's served his time for murder but i don't know I, th- I know he always pled not guilty i don't know if he ever if he's ever subsequently put his hand up and said yeah but actually i did do it it's, you know, it's a, a, a bit like paul ferris as well do you know what i mean it's like well the police are all you know the police just harass me because i used to get in a bit of trouble now and again and stay stitch me up and all that and they we always seem quite ready to believe these guys um sort of publicly in 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 scotland so you know that's maybe why the decision's been made not to show the murder because it was like what someone's supposed to have been killed at a party that boyo and his mates were at um and they're getting the blame for it you know i i I think because i've read a a couple of interviews with um, with Boyle. So this is where I think they they mix things up a little bit in the film. And it's almost, you know what this reminds me of, in a way? It reminds me of when I was at school and I remember I was writing a story for English class. It must have been about 13 or something. And this was obviously before the days of typing things up. So you were writing paper to pen. And I remember the plot that I wanted to happen. And it was kind of similar, like that something would happen and then something else would happen. And, and the third time it would get kind of, done yeah but then i kind of actually forgot 
and I was writing the plot again. I was like, oh shit. So I had to make it happen again to fix what I'd earlier mistake, if that makes sense. And it feels like that's what they've kind of done in this film. It's so obviously he has the first instant of the fight. And then of course he gets his hands and legs Mm. axed and ends up in hospital. But then he's out the next day sitting in the pub, then flees to London. Yeah. Gets arrested. That's when I think he has two months in solitary. The same day he gets out, he goes up and slashes Dave Anderson in the face, which yeah. I did not appreciate seeing Dave Anderson. No, poor Dave. Slashed in the face. Poor Dave. He was just coming to get his pint of milk. And I guess that's the, the nonchalant way as well of when he gets back in the car and he's like, was that the right guy, Jackie? Yeah, yeah. And he's just fucking slashed him in the face. Of course, you better hope it was the right guy. Then they go to the party, which you don't see. The next day is when apparently he gets arrested, but then he gets out and found not guilty of this murder mm-hmm. that happened at this party despite not being witnesses. And then the next scene is effectively him going out with, um, he goes out with Bobby, I think he goes out with, and they end up and then they slash this guy across the chest. Yeah. And and, and then it's left of, oh, do whatever you want with him. And that's the guy that dies, right? So apparently it was a guy called Babs Rooney that uh-huh, yeah. Boyle was committed that he was sentenced for the murder now he has said that and i think this was at the party so that's what i mean this they've kind of extended this thing he's admitted that he slashed him across the chest right he denies killing him he's later come out after he was released and said it was actually the guy he was with uh william wilson that murdered him but william wilson had since passed away right right when boyle said uh, it was willie that did it yeah but he's dead, so can't defend himself. So it's it's one of those things that's completely shrouded in in a bit of mystery. Boyle will never admit that he did it if he did, but yeah, yeah. he's blamed it on William Wilson now. Anyway, I, I think this the film kind of mixes to it leads to me to believe that like oh shit we've we've done that oh, right we'll have to put something else in to show why he's mm-hmm. done it and and. and how do we think that guy? Because when he slashes that guy across the chest, they both leave. Yeah, so yeah. who killed? Who killed the guy? Was it his his wife, the the woman that was there? Was it Sheila? Like, was it her that killed him? Because the next thing we see is the body getting put into the ambulance and somebody saying, "Who's that?" And the cop were saying, "I don't know, but he's very dead." Yeah, yeah. Which was a a nice little line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few of those. There's a few of those kind of make kind of make Dougal sort of dry, uh, that mm. sort of humorous lines in it. But I didn't realise watching it that that was the guy that he is ultimately being um, sentenced to life or murder for. Well, that's what I presumed. Because yeah, yeah. otherwise, who do you think it was? Because after the party and he gets arrested, then you then see him coming out of court as a free man. He says he's, you know, not guilty. So he's free of all crimes. Yeah. And then you see him slash the guy across the chest. Yeah, I presume that's... It, it's... Yeah, it's it's not very well done in that yeah. way. It's not very clear, in my opinion. And again, I think they did too much to establish him as this character. It should have just been the party, and yeah, then yeah. he was found guilty of that. There was no need for the, the scene of him slashing the guy across the chest, really. I mean, I think maybe it's maybe a little bit similar to what we were talking about in the news about with the serial killer tattoos and stuff. I suppose like when this movie was made it's you know it was not that long after the events that it depicts you know i mean i think all this is sort of less than 20 years later so very much still in living memory i guess they had to be a wee bit careful and leave a bit of ambiguity about some of the events i suppose you know what i mean but to your point it makes it quite hard to follow you know um and hard to understand where you know why he is where he is you know the, the narrative doesn't become e- become easier to understand until he goes 
to prison. Yeah, and I think the the fact that he's in prison, it does help, as you say, you can follow because it does come up with the, the name of where he is and, and the year. So at least it does make it easier that you know and, and when he's moving about. And it does help that he does even say the governor of Nairn, for example, yeah. saying he's been here eight months, you know, we're only yeah. meant to be six. So at least you know he's been there for eight months. So it does help in terms of passage of time. Yeah, there's another scene where later on when he, get, they, he gets taken out of solitary and the screw says mm. to him, oh, you know, you're, you're 19 months in solitary. I've come mm. to an end, you know, and you're like, fucking hell, 19 months. But that is the time you do kind of see him to start to go a little bit mad during yeah, those 19 yeah. months. That's when he's talking to himself and, and getting a bit... And that's the thing, as you said, it is very much on repeat. So it, it, he does go to prison and it, it gets a, a lovely speech from Fulton Mackay as the, the police officer that's effectively been hunting him down the yeah. whole time. And he does deliver this wonderful speech as Jimmy's going off. And Jimmy's trying to act the hard man in front of him. But you can see that he's fucking shiting himself and he's, yeah. he's he's upset like you know he's been sentenced 15 years minimum yeah. of a life sentence and found guilty of this murder he says he doesn't commit you and I go back a long time Jimmy remember I've known you from your first approved school but this is different you're not about to start your time your time's over you've been son and from this minute on, you've nothing to live on but memories. I hope they were worth it. Because you won't be making any new ones for a year ago. There's no coffin built I won't climb out of. You suffer, you bastard. It's a, a great bit from Peter McDougall. You can see he's trying to act hard, but then as soon as Fulton Mackay kind of walks away, I said yeah. Peter McDougall, I meant David yeah, Heyman, sorry. Yeah. Um, you can see the the kind of colour drain from his face almost and the, well, and the harsh reality it, of what's it about It turns to in, doesn't he? Because when Mackay's talking to him, he's lying on his back. And then mm. well, when Mackay leaves, he sort of, it sort of turns ever so slightly to face the wall. You know what I mean? It's like to your point. It's a it's a it's, it's a good performance in that in that scene from Heyman without him doing like an, an awful lot. You know. Now, if if he failed as a criminal, I think he could probably do a good career as an escapologist because the first kind of prison scene, you, you see him, they, they beat the fuck, fuck out of him, and then they put him in a straitjacket and put him yeah. in a padded cell. Yeah. And within what? An hour, he's managed to get the straitjacket off and rip all the padding off the cell. Yeah. You're just going to get the shit kicked out of you again for that, surely. I know, um, yeah. And and how how did he get out of that straitjacket is something I would like to know. I don't think they're that easy to get out of. Houdini apparently used to, what, dislocate his shoulder to get it out? Mm. Or was that, am I thinking about rigs and lethal weapon? One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking about rigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there are. I mean, as as good as David Heyman is in this, there are some bits where he he, he dials it right up. You know what I mean? Like, mm. his, like the scenes when he's um, when he's starting to lose the place a wee bit and he's talking to himself and, and all that sort of thing. It's uh, you know, it's it's it sort of fits in the film. Uh, I think like for a modern mm. for a kind of modern audience, it feels like he's kind of going for it a bit. You know? Oh no, there's a couple of great parts that um talk about later in terms of his, his performance but i agree there are a couple of bits that he does kind of go a little bit over the top yeah. i would say 
And I guess none more so in terms of when he's, after he rips off the padding, I guess, he's moved to Nairn Prison because they're sending him out somewhere where you know, no yeah. one's going to be bothered with him. And of course, he, he gets in and cuts his hair with this razor that he's got secreted somewhere. It's waistband. And then, yeah, yeah. And then rips up the blanket and then uh, covers himself in shite. Yeah. The, the way. Now, I, I didn't quite understand this to begin with. I thought it was just a dirty protest. And mm. then I realised, ah, okay, it's so the, the officers won't beat touch him up. Him. Yeah. Because, yeah, not going to touch him. Which I guess I didn't grasp to begin with. But, I mean, th- there is a point where he's just sitting there covered in his shite the walls of his cell are covered in his shite. And he does have a look of a man that's like, oh, I think I might have taken this too far. <laughs> like, I might have made a mistake here. Like, as he's caked in dry shite. I mean, yeah. that's, that can't be pleasant at all. Or healthy. And no, I, I thought he must get some sort of disease from that. And you know, even the, the warden spits in his food, but he still eats it. Yeah, it's, It yes, can't me. be good being covered in your shite with that. What I want to know is, I mean, that that it, that can't have been like one shite that he's stretched I, out. Do you know what I mean? Because you know, they, they, because you got to think the warden would come in and you know, he might he might have done a shite and done a little bit of the wall. You know what mm. I mean? And maybe he's hidden it because he wants to, you know, he wants to go for the shock effect of the whole, all the walls being covered in shite. But I mean, was he just left? I mean, surely when they're bringing his food in, they must have seen this gradual. <laughs> Like soiling of the cell walls, you know. <laughs> well, you'd certainly think so, uh, because as you say, it's a lot more than just one shite that that yeah. uh, that took. But it does appear that prisoners are left on their own for days without being checked on. Maybe not in Nairn, but <laughs> definitely in a prison. I think it's back in Glasgow. Is it later on in the film? Yeah. They, they, they're left for quite some time, I think, to be able to tunnel through fucking five walls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the yeah, thing is right in, in that scene uh, they're dealt with by the the hose getting turned on them I mean hmm. had I been a prison warden when Jimmy Boyle was clarting the walls in his shit the first mm-hmm. thing I'd have done is run the hose in and fucking well, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean that's exactly what I thought I was like why aren't they doing that or just like throwing buckets of water over him or something or yeah. I mean I thought they don't have a hose but they could surely just get the fucking local fire yeah. brigade down to give him a jet wash like yeah that's exactly what I would have done the extent of their imagination was like to tie napkins around their faces like cowboy outlaws <laughs> um, as you say it does seem to be like then it is just repeat 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 mm-hmm. um, there are some good parts and you can see it does get to him um, I think in the next prison and he does almost contemplate suicide he pulls out his trusty razor blade again yeah, yeah. from his waistband and he does contemplate it but then he doesn't because he's like ah oh, no because the screws will be happy about it yeah, yeah. you know they'll get what they want and decides not to do it <clears throat> but, and then it just yeah repeat again Gets into a bit of trouble, gets put in solitary, gets out, gets into trouble. I mean, to be fair, when he gets moved to Aberdeen, it's not really his fault. He, the, the guard does push him, but then he yeah. just turns around and clocks him one, and then that's him away. Yeah. Straight, straight into solitary, two broken arms, and <laughs> yeah. he wakes up. I mean, that's the extent of his stay in Aberdeen. Like, he looks like he's going to be fine because he gets all his stuff, he gets there. Then the guard pushes him, he punches him, causes a bit of a rammy. Then the next thing you know, he wakes up, thinks he's in an asylum, but he's not. He's back in Glasgow, but with yeah. two broken arms. He's been unconscious for ten, uh, two days. So that was the extent of his stay in Aberdeen. He got all checked in, got all his stuff. He's there for less than three minutes, punches a guard, and then gets moved back to Glasgow. Like, 
Yeah, and it seems a bit strange. You you think at the beginning of that scene that that's going that's him starting to turn the corner a bit because he bumps into his pal. He's like, "Oh yeah, I've been reading, uh, reading hmm. that do, that uh, Dostoevsky crime and punishment." <laughs> and his pal said, oh, "Is that the one where the guy gets sent to jail for ripping off his granny's gas meter?" <laughs> That didn't make me laugh. So you think, oh, he's starting to, you know, he's starting to become a bit intellectual. And then he, date to your point, he turns and thumps the guard for giving him a wee push. But that's the thing I thought watching this. I I kept thinking, you just kind of hit the nail on the head there. Jimmy, when are you just going to fucking give up? When are you going to start playing by the rules? Just give up, keep your head down. Things have got a lot easier. You're a hard man. You'll get respected in prison. Why have you got to be causing fucking trouble? Now, is it because, you try to say, is, is it because effectively he was just like a child and needed to be treated in, in a special way as we find out because he does flourish when he gets moved to Barlini. Yeah. When he's basically given the freedom to do what he wants. Is is that, but is that not like just rewarding a, a bad child? if you know what I mean, like a child is misbehaving. Surely he has to learn his lesson, but I I just find it odd that why, you know, for example, in Aberdeen, he, he, he didn't really, the guard just kind of shoved him to move him along. And why did he have to turn around and clock him? Why didn't he just be like, oh, sorry. As you say, that could have been a fresh start for him. Is it because his reputation precedes himself, so he's all constantly on edge and thinking the guards are out to get him? I, I don't know. I just I couldn't understand why he wouldn't just fucking do what he was told. No, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the thing about the special unit, I think it was supposed to be a sort of fresh approach to reform because they're not, obviously, they, they don't have their liberty. They can't leave the prison, but, you know, you're not keeping them locked up. You're not like doing all that sort of stuff to them you know they're able to um they, they try to get them interested in uh different things and stuff you know it's more like a bit of a clubhouse you know when the guy passes him the swiss army knife to open his open yeah. up his uh his package you know it's like he can't believe it all his christmases have come at once like i i wouldn't be handing him that and then turning my back on him i'd be expecting a fucking corkscrew in the back of my skull yeah yeah if i was giving that to jimmy boyle but so very trusting staff obviously in terms of no that this is going to work mm-hmm. but yeah as you say a very fresh approach and obviously it did work for Jim yeah. because he behaved he wrote his book he was he was allowed effectively for his artistic talents to flourish and that's where he learned sculpture and you know, became the, the famous artist that he is today so it it did genuinely work for him and I think it worked for a, a few people unfortunately the the unit shut down I think in 1995 so I don't know what uh, what prisons are like a holiday camp now anyway aren't they I've uh, seen that's a topic for another show um, yeah so I, I think um, yeah it, it definitely did work for him and then that's the, I guess, the encouragement that he needed in a way yeah. in terms of to, to be able to do things. But yeah, I did just think, you know, when are you just going to pack it in and stop playing silly buggers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't think there's anything particularly compelling about watching somebody who is their own worst enemy for an extended time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you sort of, the point is sort of hammered home quite early on after he goes to prison that he's his own worst enemy. It'd be yeah. more, it, like, his reform would have been, a, would have been more interesting. You know what I mean? You know, I think if if it was me, I think I would have spent less time. I mean, I suppose when he wrote the book, he, he probably felt quite victimised and brutalised by the Scottish prison service. So that maybe that's why he spent so much time talking about that. Um, I think for us as the viewer, the more interesting part of his story is how he's gone from being a fucking nasty wee cunt to being mm. an intellectual, celebrated artist and author mm. rather than just... What a hard time he had at prison. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'd, I think I would have liked to have seen another maybe 20 minutes, half an hour of his journey through the special unit, how he get into sculpture, etc. you know? I think you're right. And also they put a bit too much, for example, and this is the, probably the, the, a very great bit of acting from David Heyman. It's when he finds out that his mum has passed away. Yeah. And it, it says a lot that instantly you know what's happened before he even says it because yeah. you see the the guy going in and coming out and and you just know yeah. that's what's happening and he's like anything but that this relationship he has with his mother but they don't spend any time building that up he literally passes her in the street once yeah. on the you know and uh, she's like don't get into any trouble oh i won't see you later mum that's it well he goes to believe the, the, that this is not going to see her when the that old house is getting pulled down Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they, they basically stand there in silence, just kind of looking at each other. Yeah, I I didn't get any feeling of of close bond or relationship there. Yeah. So I I would have liked to have seen that be a bit more established that he mm-hmm. is not a mummy's boy, but you know what I mean that he does have a really good relationship with his mum, and that's why it's so devastating. And almost that is the kind of catapult that maybe helps him to start changing. But no, as soon yeah. as he gets back from the funeral, he's in a fucking rammy again, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's tunnelling through walls and that's <laughs> Let's just come to that now. Tunnelling through the fucking walls. How on earth do they manage to tunnel through, what, five, six cells? And they've obviously <laughs> tunnelled through to the outside because they're all huddled there, freezing cold. Yeah. That is just fucking ridiculous. No well, guard has come to serve them food or to, to check on them that they're okay. Well, why are they on their pants anyway? Do you know what I mean? I like, God knows. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Fucking no beds, no clothes, just in their, in their Y-fronts. And so where has Jimmy been hiding this little tool that he... F- pads that he found was would knock away the mortar between the bricks <laughs> it was very handy to have yeah, <laughs> yeah very handy well it maybe hit it well obviously where the razor blade was yeah it's um because he produces it from its waistband so maybe right, razor yeah. blades are out now and these little plastic so grouting maybe, tools yeah. <laughs> yeah are the the way forward maybe it's a thing it's a thing for getting stones out of horses hooves or something like that that's like broken, <laughs> broken off a swiss army knife <laughs> chisel his way through prison walls Uh, yeah I I did find that ridiculous like just surely no one's going to hear this noise no one's going to come and check on them I mean surely you even go and check every couple of hours now getting all of that done and the the pile that he has below him is insane that's going to have taken days to tunnel through those five cells and they think it's a great laugh if he came into my cell I'd be like what the fuck are you doing fuck off fuck (laughs) off I'll get the blame for this as well (laughs) no no go away go away Uh, no ridiculous to me Uh, you you wouldn't wake up and say we got a light (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I mean yeah didn't appreciate that I did did think the violence is is quite well filmed in terms of the fights and stuff but um, the pacing's all over the place the the thing about the violence I think is particularly effective and I think it's something that John McKenzie does well in the other two play for today's that we've done of his uh, is that it feels it's not it's not particularly graphic but you're in no doubt of what's going on, so it feels really realistic. You know what I mean? It feels un- it, it, it feels uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, if, when you watch, like, The Rock, 
like fucking battering five guys in a film. It's you know it's exciting because mm. it's the Rock and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great to be as hard as the Rock and do all that shit? But then when you see these like sort of skirmishes and stuff, yeah. and particularly in a sense of freedom, like the fight you spoke about earlier, that like when it goes on the bus, like the young guy running up with all the knives for the other guys, and you mm. know there's there's the guy with the shotgun who shoots the window, and then mm-hmm. as the guys are running past, one of them slashes the guy with the shotgun and everything. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It, it, it's very, you know, there's not like blood flying everywhere and people screaming in agony and all that sort of stuff, but it's very realistic and uncomfortable, you know. Uh, it, I think he does it really, really well. But you know what a grounding part of that is? And I think it is in a lot of the, the films that we've done, you know, especially in um, just a boys game as well, I think, is the, as you say, nowadays it's also stylized. So you'll have the yeah. rock, as you say, punching and it's the yeah. sound, fe- sound effects are kind of superimposed. It's music in the background. Yeah. What I like about these kind of violent scenes is the main sound is dress shoes on gravel. <laughs> yeah. Like you hear the scraping of the shoes on the pavement and yeah. the scuffing of the shoes and then you just the shouting, but it's not, it's unclear. It's more of like a, uh, uh, you, uh, yeah. Just with the scraping of the shoes on the gravel and the pavement. That's what makes it realistic. Because that's yeah. what you hear if you're actually watching a proper fight. Yeah, in the yeah. Street, it's just, you know, the shoes on gravel and the, a bit of a guttural kind of primal roar rather than it's it's that it's that sort of frantic sort of chaos you know yeah. bodies everywhere you know shots of yeah. shouting and bawling there's a there's a story about um and i wonder it just came to me there i wonder if it's i wonder if maybe they've taken a bit of inspiration for when they run onto the bus but there's a there's a story about one of the glasgow razor gangs in the 1930s i think it's maybe the billy boys of them chasing another gang onto the train at bridgeton cross and they like, mm continuing the the battle on the train um and i wonder if maybe they've taken a wee bit of inspiration from that story for this uh for the bus bit there in that fight maybe i don't know yeah, maybe did they take inspiration of that for the the train um the film um was it train to guvan which one's that train, to, train Bus- to busan oh the yeah. one with the zombies train to guvan oh, oh god <laughs> jesus doesn't help if you've got to explain the joke. Oh, Jesus sorry. Christ, never mind. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, like I say, the fight scenes are very realistic, and yeah. I think that does help, and it is a, a part of the um, the film that I did enjoy, uh, yeah. so to speak, because as you say, you don't really see much, and um, but it's implied, which I often think is worse. You know, like you don't see the the prison guard losing an eye. You just yeah. see the blood kind of on his face, and you think, "Oh, he's in shock and all that." I mean, e- yeah. even the even the scene when uh, Piper and his gang get hold of Jimmy, and uh, you know they they kind of attack, they kind of kneecap him and oh, break his arms and stuff. You know, it's not. Um, Again, you know, it's sort of lit in such a way that it's not, it's unpleasant, but it's not gross, mm. you know what I mean? It's not, no. oh, Jesus wept, you know, it's, it's they, they, they show just enough, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that. It's 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 heavily implied, and you can see at the end, you just see that it's the kind of, the trousers are soaked in blood, and you get enough, because uh, I wasn't even sure, I didn't know if it was an axe or if it was just a hammer they were hitting with, and it wasn't until you yeah. see the police officer explaining, you know, attacking with an axe and stuff, that, that you realise just how bad it could have been. And yeah. how bad it was, but indeed, um, yeah, all implied though. I think it was, uh, yeah, very well done from that aspect. Um, okay, so should we put a sense of freedom through our Swally Awards? 
Anything uh, else you want yeah. to? Yeah. Um, no, I think just, well, I mean, the only other thing is, you know, again, we speak briefly mentioned him, but we spoke about pacing as well. Yeah. Why is there a need for Hector Nichol just to pop up for a random <laughs> scene? Like, that feels shoehorned in. There's nothing to do with anything else of the film. Is that just to show that he does have a certain sense of empathy in terms of he's not going to kill this guy for pretending he's his uncle. Yeah. He'll let him go. But I do like the Hector Nickel does have a little shout at him about serving time in Korea and he's not yeah. scared of him. Yeah. But what was, what was the need? Was that just to get Hector Nickel in for five minutes? I mean, I wonder if maybe that's it because... Right, Mackenzie'd worked with Nicole before on just a boys' game, and maybe he just what like spent the night working with Hector Nicole. Like, what can we do? You know, I mean, to be fair, mm. I mean, it's it's not not quite on the uh, Alex Norton as Malky's part, but you know, Hector Nicole goes for it as well. You know, it's it's a great little. Yeah. It's a great little sort of uh, sort of side scene, really. Like to your point, it's a bit inconsequential. I think if it serves any purpose, it's maybe just to maybe show how notorious uh, Jimmy Boyle is. You know what I mean with his his uh, his flat full of stolen goods and uh, stolen booze and all that kind of thing. Maybe I have no idea, but uh, but you can tell he- uh, Hector Nichols going to make the most of it. You know. Oh yeah, and he certainly does. Yeah, he's enjoying himself there. Uh, no, I think that just about covers um, sense of freedom. So why don't we, as you say, put it through our Swally Awards? All right. So not in any particular order, but um, the Bobby the Barman Pub. What's your favourite pub in a sense of freedom? Well, there's only is there two. There's the there's, or is it well, just one? The first one. There is two. There's the there's the two. one at the beginning with mm. the synchronised tables getting thrown out of the window at the same time, which I wish I mm-hmm. which I quite appreciated. And then there's 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 the is it the Ben Moore where uh, Jimmy does all these business? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely the the second one, the Ben. Yeah. Business, what yeah, I what, nice what I like about the Ben Moore is it's got a snug, you know. Well, but as we've said, that's the what all good gangsters need is the yeah. snug. You know, we had to think Billy Conley was a big fan of the snug and um, big among boys, the big boys. Yeah, um, and the snug popped up <clears> in another uh, the wee man, of course. As yep. the, I mean, they have the whole pub basically, but there is a little yeah. bit of a snug element there. But yeah, every every um, gangster needs a snug. Indeed. Okay, look, uh, the Ewan McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. There's only really one bit, isn't there? It's not even that gratuitous. Yeah, I didn't think there was really there's, anything there's, as such. But... There's the scene where Heyman's well, in one of his solitary experiences, he's lying on his stomach with his gear off. Mm. Um, I can't remember which which prison he was in at that stage, but uh. <laughs> it's all it's all melded into one. Um, yeah, but yeah, no. So well, we'll give it to that, but there's not really much I would say. I, d- I did read that all the all the prison scenes had to be filmed in Ireland because the Scottish Prison Board weren't weren't mm-hmm. up for playing. So yeah, um, right. So this enough. this next one's a really difficult one, just because of the cast list. But the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Who did you go for in the end? Then because it is difficult. Well, if we think about Cosmo, often appears in a supporting role. Taking that rule, I went for John Murta because he does. A you know, pop up. I would agree with you. I've got John Murta or Alex Norton purely because Alex Norton does seem to be in everything as well. But I think it Murta does, yeah. does yeah. really challenge him. So um, yeah, let's give it to John Murta. Why not? Okay, doke. Um, the next one, uh, the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. It's quite a few uh, 
choice it's here as well because it's quite a sweary film and it's quite a violent film as well for Tzut. But uh, yeah. yeah, a couple of good choices. But did you have anything in particular that you really appreciated? I mean, most of the swearing seemed to be near the beginning, and it was you know I felt mm. it. It was it was quite sort of kind of utility swearing. <laughs> what did you go for? It's it's when um, they are speaking to to John Murtaugh's character and they're saying they've got him out the pub and um, yeah. he says something like oh we'll see and I think it's Jake Darcy's character goes you'll see fuck all without your eyes what do you mean what I'm up to can a man not have a beer in peace not in the bar I do my business in what you've had the message that's the way it is you guys are bad news here you're moving what get it soon we'll see you'll see fuck all without your eyes Stay away. I did like that. I thought that was good. Just the the element of fuck in there as well. And then uh, the only other one is when they it's when they they throw him into the the padded cell with the the straight jacket. And I I do think one of the guards does shout, "That's you fucked!" Yeah. And I thought that was quite a yeah nice little way as well. But that's that's about it. Do we think uh, Do we think Jake Darcy's character became became Pete the Jakey? You think maybe he's uh, in still game? <laughs> he's t- turned his back on a life of crime and just embraced the purple tin. <laughs> that's a that's a wonderful thought, actually. Yeah, I hope so. That would be really great. I mean, that's a full arc then, really, isn't it? Like, yeah, he yeah. was a, a school teacher in Gregory's Girl, then he became a criminal, yep. and then gave it up and became Pete the Jakey. That's a wonderful character arc there. I hope so. Be- be- became a criminal because he couldn't get any respect at the school, and some teachers accused him of fancying uh, one of the... <laughs> Take the girl player on the team. D. Hepburn. <laughs> D. Hepburn, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, who could blame him? Okay, look, uh, the Jake McQuillan Award, uh, sorry, the, the Jake McQuillan Your Tzut Award. I've got three um, choices here. What about you? There's quite a few, but yeah. I, just because it shocked me so much and because I was so upset by it, I put Dave Anderson getting slashed. Um, yeah. I think it's because of the pure nonchalant way he gets back into the car and asks if it was the right guy. Uh, but there's there's a few to choose from, but that, that's what I put because it was just, it shocked me. But what yeah, about yourself? It, it was unexpected. I, I, I had that. I also had when he cuts uh, the guy's chest as well, because that was unexpected mm. too. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's massive. It's a massive sort of slice across the guy's body. I had the scene where he punches a prison officer for giving him a wee push, um, mm. and I had the scene where he's he gets boy himself gets tanned over the head uh, with a hammer. Mm. Yeah. Um, on on the point of the on the Jake McQuillan point, I've got to mention. So the music for the movie is by Frankie Miller and uh, Rory Gallagher. They Frankie Miller, obviously a fan of writing songs for films with the title of the film. <laughs> Any song, <laughs> um, he's got he's got j- just a boys game. They're just a boys game, and then he manages to shoehorn the words "a sense of freedom" into the outro in this one as well. <laughs> Archetypal Scottish moment. I, th- I, th- I did struggle with this, but I kind of went, and I know we've used this before, so maybe it is a cop out. But it was the the gallows humor element. Yeah, and yeah. In particular, it's when he's he's in hospital because his. his hands and he's been kneecapped and yeah. stuff and his squad effectively comes in to get him out and they're carrying him down the stairs and i just like the the kind of bond that they seem to have and the closeness and and the way yeah. they're joking about stuff and when 
he says that we're going to go and um, confront Piper and his mob and, and get them. And I can't remember which one of them it says, but he goes, and what good are you? What are we going to do? We're going to throw you at them. And, <laughs> you know, you're going to bite them. Um, that's it. You, well, we throw you at them and you'll attack them with your teeth. And <laughs> I just found that quite humorous. And, and I thought it was quite Scottish in a way of terms yeah. of like, you know, having to make the, a joke out of a, an obviously very bad situation and, and thing. But yeah, the gallows yeah. humour. I thought that they kind of ran throughout a lot of this. And as you've said, there are a few lines in this that are pretty funny um, yeah, yeah. throw away as well. So that's what I went. I had I had uh, puking in the clothes. <laughs> 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 that works just as well, actually. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant, yeah. I thought of that myself, actually. That's uh, that, that works. Perfect. <laughs> okay, the Sean Connery Award, sometimes known as Who Got to Go Home and Fuck the Prom Queen, Who Won the Movie. Who did you? Who did you, you give it to? Um, it's David Heyman, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'd like day. to give it to Frankie Miller for the song because that's probably the best bit of the film. But uh, <laughs> it's it's David Heyman. He, he yeah. does deliver a very good performance, and as I say, despite looking like a young Alex Higgins in some scenes, <laughs> he does give a very good. Um, slightly over the top in, yeah. in some places, slightly understated in some. I mean, I think yeah. he. I don't know if he's respected. Funny, because I watched this. This is available on YouTube um, for anyone that doesn't. I'll, I'll put a link in the podcast description. And I think someone does say in the comments, like David Heyman, you know, one of the, probably the finest Scottish gen- actor of his generation. And someone replies like, he's not even in the top fucking five. Of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's good, but he's not that good. Um, I, I think he is a very good actor, I have to say. And, and he's been in a lot of stuff that we've covered in the Swally. And, but yeah, there are times that he is kind of a bit over the top in this. Um, yeah, but yeah, he, he portrays the character well. He's believable as, as Jimmy Boyle, but yeah, he wins. I mean, I have to be nice with David Heyman because I met him uh, once at uh, the Sunday Vale Sports Awards about 2010, and he was very, <laughs> very nice guy, very generous with his time. Uh, I was happy to stand and chat for five minutes. Not a, not a tall man, <laughs> I'll be honest, but he was. He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was, he was very, very nice. Very happy to stand and chat. Um, if you look at his filmography, though, I mean, it is fucking massive. I mean, this mm. guy, his first credit is in 1972, and he is, he's pretty much got something, at least one thing a year as an actor, up and right up to 2021. Plus, he's done a bit of directing as well on a TV. He did a couple of episodes of Cardiac Arrest, um, which was written by the guy who, whose name I can't remember, uh, Jed Mercurio, who writes uh, Line of Duty. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's done a bit of um, presenting as well on some pretty good documentaries about Scotland, particularly shipbuilding on the Clyde and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, he's the guy just fucking works his arse off, you know, and he's, he's, he's got, of course, he's got a still game, doesn't have a tagger, which is quite oh. unusual um, for a Scottish actor of his of his generation. But, uh, but that's about all he doesn't have. He's got fucking everything else. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, you know, he does go over the top a wee bit in certain bits, but I think it's, uh, I think Heyman has to get the Connery Award. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Oh, well, so, uh, yeah, I think that sums up 1981's A Sense of Freedom. So, it's a very special episode, Next our next episode. Mm. This is episode 49, if you don't include the um, sort of teaser episode that we did way back Mm. in 2020, which obviously we don't. So, why don't you tell the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, what we're going to be reviewing on the next episode, episode 50. Oh, thanks, Greg. Well, yeah, as you say, it's going to be episode 50. Can you believe that? So... 
thought we have to do something special for our 50th episode. And it's something that we've kind of been toying with doing, but we've always put off. And I think we realised about 10 episodes ago, let's save that for episode 50. And it's a film that is, it's always either number one or it's in the top two, three of any list you see of the best Scottish film or, or the best things filmed in Scotland. So let's have a look at 1983's Local Hero. Superb. Can he wait? It's been a long time since I've watched that, so I'm very yeah, much too. looking forward to watching it for this me, one. Me too. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. And if you have anything that you've seen in the news that you'd like us to talk about, or if you've got anything you'd like us to review, or anything in particular Scottish, or if you just want to get in touch and say hello, then please feel free. You can drop us a line at uh, drop us a line why do I always say at you can drop us a line on cultureswally at gmail.com and uh, similarly if you um, feel free to give us a little rating review subscription on iTunes or tell your friends anything that you can help to help the podcast grow would be greatly appreciated so they obviously our audience can't see because this is the the, the medium of podcast but I'm wearing a cool as fuck culture swally t-shirt so maybe if somebody writes in with something good maybe we'll if you want we'll get a t-shirt printed and ship it out to you I and mean, we'll put a couple of pictures on Instagram we'll get you these custom made high quality t-shirts yeah we'll uh, yeah, <laughs> get a couple made for each other but yeah I'll maybe get slightly better quality if we're sending them out to a listener <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that bombshell of Greg trying to flog merchandise. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, we will see how about getting that set up soon. Okay, right. Well, fantastic. Thanks very much, Greg. And until next time, I'll. Until... I, I don't know where I was going with there. Um, <laughs> All right, you're always you're always my local hero, Greg. I'll see you next week. <laughs> okay. Take care. I don't know whether we've turned into what you are. Or you've turned us into the kind of people you imagine that we are. But it's way past the blaming stage now. You've pushed us to the limits. Come ahead.